This evening is, of course, a project of TorahWeb.org in conjunction with Congregation Beth Shalom, Congregation Or Torah, the Young Israel of North Woodmere, the Young Israel of Woodmere, and the Young Israel of Lawrence Cedarhurst. Topic, Alcohol, Drugs, Morality Among Orthodox Teens. This is a very politically correct topic. We, of course, understand that we have come to hear about the problems of alcohol abuse, drug abuse, and the lapse, occasionally, of morality among Orthodox teens. The very fact that this kind of publicity has to be so carefully worded indicates that it is with trepidation, sometimes too much so and undue, that we approach the subject. If shuls, as many in our community have, had to put in policies concerning kiddish, waiter service or bar service and bartending at Kadeshim, as opposed to open bar, if shuls have felt the need to ban alcohol on premises we obviously do have a problem if the focus of an effort of the OU has to be Kiddush Club practices we obviously have a problem if students studying in yeshivos in Eretz Yisrael are arrested on possession and substance abuse charges we obviously have a problem. If yeshiva students still in high school here in the United States are partying on a Motsoi Shabbos and are arrested on possession and substance abuse problem, we have a problem. If teenagers are involved in practices that are unbecoming, and very, very unhealthful, to say the least. And we close our eyes and don't wish to know, acknowledge what dangerous practices some of our teens have begun to engage in. We have a problem. Torah Web, Rabbi Dr. Tversky, Rabbi Meir Tversky are to be credited and thanked for being willing to come, spend the time, the effort to pointedly address some of these issues, to better guide us, to teach us what the preventatives might be, if there are any, so that we can address these problems, or even better, for the sake of our kids, avoid them altogether. Rabbi Dr. Shia Tversky and Rabbi Meir Tversky have met before, but the first thing that they just shared with each other was as they sat down. So, exactly how are we related? The great Rebbe of Chernobyl looks down on such wonderful descendants and says, How fortunate for all that I, my Rebbitson, my children, children's children have been able to do and accomplish and continue to accomplish through such noble, gifted, talented 
and devoted leaders in Klal Yisrael. Our first speaker, Rabbi Dr. Abraham Tursky Rabshia, sign of the great Mishpachos, Chasidus Halberstam and Tursky Mishpach, a preeminent psychiatrist, founder of Gateway's Rehabilitation Center in Pittsburgh, perhaps the foremost authority on substance abuse and addressing substance abuse problems in the United States, if not in the world. I appended to the introduction the CV of Rabbi Dr. Tversky and realized that I could spend 15-20 minutes reading the credits, the resume, the number of publications, the number of books that he has authored, the work that he has done so successfully and so beautifully. I think that he certainly, along with Rav Meir Tversky, personifies those about whom Chazal say, Shmo Holeich Lefanov. It's a great honor to introduce Dr. Abraham J. Tversky. Thank you, Rabbi Tadamon. Good evening, everyone. I guess that if my illustrious cousin and I were to walk out now and not say a word, you'd all be disappointed. No, you came to hear something, and yet we're walking away and letting you down. But if you heard what Rabbi Tadamon said, and the number of times he pointed out reasons why we have to realize that when it comes to such issues as alcoholism and drug addiction and immoral behavior, that we have a problem. If you've heard that, I don't have anything more to tell you. You got the message. As I walked in, my dear friend Rav Chaim Winter said to me, seven years ago, he said, I was here in this very shul, and I talked about this problem, and I was laughed out of the shul. Well, I'm hoping that my cousin and I will have a better fortune. Because we have a problem. Now my concern is why I'm going to continue talking even though I said you've heard it all. First, I do want to say one word of introduction. My dear friend, the late Charles Schultz, the author of the Peanuts comic strip, was very bright. I wrote several books together with him. And he has there one strip where he says, uh, where somebody says to Charlie Brown, he says, you know, Charlie Brown, there are more questions in the world than there are answers. So you'll be the one that asks the questions. So I'm the one that asks the questions. I don't have the answers. I don't think anyone has the answers, but it's important to have the questions. 
And so some progress has been made. If there's a different attitude now than there was seven years ago, but that progress isn't enough. And it isn't enough that we hear it once, and it isn't enough that we hear it 20 times. There's a fascinating story in Tanakh, in Yeshua, that gives us an extremely important message. When the walls of Yericho came down, Yeshua pronounced a curse on anyone who would rebuild the city. And he said that anyone who would rebuild the city would lose all his children during the process of the rebuilding. Years later, Chil Beisaeli began rebuilding Yericho. And as he began building it, his first child died. His oldest child died. And he continued building it in full knowledge of the curse of Yeshua Binun. And one after another, his children died. His last child died when he set up the gates, completing the building. And Rav Chaim Shemalevitz makes a point of this. The man knew. He had the intellectual knowledge. He was aware of it. He saw with his own eyes what was happening. He was losing one child after another and he knew why. And that didn't stop him. Not because he didn't love his children. But because he didn't believe it. And you'll say, well, what do you mean he didn't believe it? He saw what was happening. And I can tell you, my friends, in my practice in the past 40 years plus, there is such a thing as denial, which means you don't believe what you see with your own eyes. Yeshaya Novi said it so beautifully. He says, Hashemen Levamazav, his people's hearts are fattened, their ears are clogged up, their eyes are pasted shut, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and then they will have to understand. And that's what they don't want to do. Yes, the problem is ours. And I began noticing it many years ago and for the past 25 years I've been going around speaking to Jewish communities saying there are problems out there that are ours. We are not immune to any of the problems. Regardless of how wonderful our family is, and regardless of what kind of safeguards we've taken, we are in danger, we are at risk. And I have not become the world's most popular person because of that. So I talked about the problem of alcoholism among Jews and among from Jews. And I talked about the problem of drug addiction. I talked about the problem of spouse abuse. And I talked about the problem of molestation. We've got them all. And we're paying horrendous prices for it. As hardened as I have been through the experience, there was one time when a yeshiva bocha who had been thrown out of the yeshiva was admitted for drug addiction 
And when I saw who it was, I sat down and cried. It was a very familiar name to me. From a family that had produced the Ge'oinim in our history, up to our very own time. It was a horrible experience. But it made me realize ever more that there is no immunity. Now, I've said that once we realize the problem is ours, we fulfilled our mission. Because then, hopefully, we will not fool ourselves to think it can't happen to my family. And if we know that it can happen to us, to our children, to our grandchildren, then we will at least make some effort in trying to see what can be done, as the rabbi said, what can be done to prevent it. And if it occurs, what steps have to be taken? And we've got to stop the blaming thing. Because the blaming thing does nothing at all to save the child. So the schools will blame the family, the family will blame the schools, and the child falls through the cracks. Let's stop looking for scapegoats and who to blame. And let's each do what we can and look at ourselves. I needn't tell you what the outside world is. It has never been as decadent and as depraved as it is today. Do you realize, I remember when Harry Truman was president and he made a speech and he used the word hell in the public speech. And there was an outcry of outrage. The president using such a word. Well, the past president gave us some better material than that. And don't think that your children don't know what happened. It's impossible that all of the news that was put on radio and television and the media that your kids didn't know what was going on. Our children are not naive, they're not innocent. And as they reach the age of adolescence, all kinds of things happen. They go through physical changes, they go through hormonal changes, they go through psychological changes with a great deal of anticipation and frustration. And when they are frustrated, they will turn to anything that will get them out of frustration. I'd like to refer you to a book which I think every family should have. It's a book written by one of your landslides right here from the five towns, Dr. Norman Blumenthal. The book is entitled Children in Crisis. It's available at the Nefesh office, and the number is 201-530-0010. Gonna put on my glasses to make sure that's actually the number. 201-530-0010. It's an important book for everyone to read. Parent, grandparent, teacher, principal, administrator. There's a wealth of information. This is the third edition. A lot of research has gone into it. A lot of consultation with our Gedolim. 
because they're very serious shilas that apply to halacha and I can't possibly give you a, a fraction of the information that's here but I will tell you that if we realize what is going on in the world out there and we realize that as much as we try we cannot isolate we cannot make our children immune to that and through all the walls protective walls that we build up there are cracks and the information will get through and whatever is going on in the outside world and in the non-Jewish world can go on in our world also even in the most sacred and even the most observant families and if somebody will tell me oh yes but not in the same percentage that is a very very hollow consolation if someone will tell me you know that the problem of marijuana and yeshivas as was Rabbi Talmud told you the uh, impact that it had when we found out that in Israel the American boys in the yeshivas there were not only using marijuana they were selling marijuana and the, the number uh, you say well yes but it's a, a fraction of what it is in the secular population the reason that's, that's not a consolation is because on the college campus 80% of the students are in marijuana and other drugs and if you tell me that we only have 25% of that that means that 20% of our kids are on, are on drugs and that's intolerable so the problem is a severe one even if it is less than in the general population so I'd just like to suggest a few ideas uh, as I say if you're aware of a case that has happened good you'll look in this book and you'll get some guidelines but I'd like to talk a little bit about what we might be able to do to prevent it one of the statements that is in this book that should be put up in neon lights and flashed all over is that young people who go off the derech are looking for pleasure to substitute for happiness. You hear those words? They are seeking pleasure because they are unhappy. Which means that if somehow we could strengthen our environments and our families and our schools so that the children would be happier, not that we can make them happy, but that we give them better opportunity for happiness, then we would pre prevent at least some of the disasters that are happening. Oh, by the way, before I forget, I should make this point also. We talk about yeshivas. We talk about the dropouts. As though this was only a problem among the young boys. Not true. There's every reason to believe that there are just many young adolescent girls having serious problems as there are boys. It's covered up better. Let alone that in addition to alcohol problems and drug problems and behavior problems and morality problems, there's another serious problem that the young women have which is more prevalent in young women than young men and that is eating disorders. Again kept secret so secret that the parents don't know about it 
And this, is, this can be devastating. If we have a suspicion that something might be happening, if a parent knew that there's a possibility that the child has a serious illness, you know what Jewish parents do. They run right away for the doctor and for the best doctor. But what if there's a possibility that there may be a problem of alcoholism or drug addiction or improper moral, beha moral behavior? Well, no, 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 that you can't. If they go for help or consult someone, the word might get out. And if the word gets out, what's going to happen? You know, the tragedy is they're not primarily worried what's going to happen with the child. But what's going to happen with the brothers and sisters who will not be able to shiduchim if there's a problem of alcoholism and drug addiction in the family? Shiduchim is what runs our community. And we have seen youngsters, young men and young women, sacrificed because they were not given the help that they could because of the fear that this is somehow going to expose that there's a problem in the family. We can't allow that to happen. And you say, but what happens if the word is going to get out? I'll tell you something. I guarantee you the word will get out. But not because he goes for help. And not because she seeks the help of a drug addiction specialist or a psychiatrist. The word will get out because the behavior, whether it's drugs or alcohol or the other kind of immoral behavior, is going to have consequences that doesn't stand still. And the word, will get, the word will get out in a much more serious and dramatic and traumatic fashion. Well, let me get back to the theme that I did want to touch about. And that is that perhaps if we increased our efforts to make our families and schools such that the child would have a better chance for happiness, maybe they would not go and look for these instantaneous and self-destructive pleasures. So what can we do? Let's start with the family. Another statement that was in this book that is a precious one. The greatest gift that you can give to your child is the love that you give to your spouse. In many, many situations, children who have problems are a reflection of the lack of shalom bias. What I mean by the lack of shalom bias? Oh, there is peace in the family. There's peace in the family because there's a dictatorship. You know, there's a story that a visitor to communist Russia was taken to the zoo. And the guide showed him, you're talking about messianic area, we already have the messianic area. And he shows him in a cage, there's a lion and a lamb in the same cage. And the visitor was struck by that, you know, he couldn't deny what he was seeing. But later on he mentioned it to someone, and the other person said, well of course, every day they give him a fresh lamb. You can have that kind of peace where there's a great deal of sacrifice, where there's human sacrifice. Whether the husband is the abuser or the wife is the abuser. And when I say abuser, I don't mean necessarily physical abuse. I mean disrespect to each other, lack of consideration. That's breeding grounds. That's breeding grounds for problem among children. 
Because the greatest thing that the children can have a security in is in the security of their parents, the security of the marriage, and the security of the home. And the love that husband and wife have for each other will filter down and will be contagious and will go over to the children. And the children too will know that they are loved. But where each parent is out primarily for their own welfare, their own ego, and neglects the other, that is a breeding ground for trouble in the children. So we have to begin by looking right within our families. A number of years ago, I was called to an emergency meeting. It was an emergency meeting called by one of the Askondam, one of the community leaders in one of the Hasidic groups. And he called representatives from all of the Hasidic groups together. Representatives from Lubavitcher, from Sakhmira, from Bobovim, from Vizhnitsa, from Square, from Popa. All of them had representatives. And they got together to talk about what can we do about the hemorrhage of youngsters in our communities. And that in itself was an eye-opener. We're talking about the strongest yeshivish and Hasidic communities, and they're aware that there is a major problem of kids going off the derech. And I wish I would have recorded the conversation, the discussion. Because I, I didn't know that people were that much aware of some of the con contributing factors. And one of the people from one of the Hasidic groups got up and he said, he said, you know, if a sheikhet came into town and he said, I'm a sheikhet, I only need a job. You can say, who says you're a sheikhet? Where's your certification? Right? Which Rabbonim gave you the authority to be a sheikhet? Who says you're competent? Who says you're capable? He says, look, Nevelis of Chavis is a horrible tradition, but it's still only a chicken. He says, when couples come to get married, they say, we are going to be parents. Why doesn't the Rebbe say, where's your certificate? Where's your authorization that you can be a parent? Who says that you're capable of raising a child? And the danger, when a child is raised improperly, may be even worse than a chicken that was not shafted properly. They say, well, wait a second. What's this new thing for that we parents that young people need parenting training? We've been going on for generations and generations. My father didn't have parenting training. My grandfather, my great grandfather, they didn't live in today's world. They didn't live in the world not only in comparison of 120, 150 years ago, but even in my own childhood, the world was different. Not too far from here. In 1936, I was six years old, and we went out to the beach in Farakaway. I was not allowed on the beach as a six-year-old little boy without a two-piece bathing suit. Has the world changed? The amount of stimulation to which our kids are exposed. I think that any child who remains pure and kosher, right, is a tzaddik. At any rate, 
The legitimate question. A couple comes to get married, who says you're ready to be parents? I want a certificate that you've taken good courses in parenting and that you know how you're going to raise the child. Another person got up and he said, what do you think? He said, you think this is a new thing? You think when I was in yeshiva there wasn't bums? There were bums even then. But I didn't want to associate with them because I was afraid of losing my parents. He says, some of the youngsters today don't have parents. Oh, no, no, the parents are alive and well. But the father comes home from work late at night. He's tired. Right? And here he's got a beeper. And here he's got a cell phone. Right? And then he's standing and talking on the telephone. And the child comes home and he says, Tati. And the father says, what's the matter with you? Don't see I'm busy now. We sometimes are so busy that we don't have time for our children. We're too busy giving them what we think they need that we forget that the most precious thing that they need is us, us as parents and we don't give enough of ourselves to them. You can lecture to your children all you like. Lectures have never done any good to children. Children will learn by how parents behave. And if children will see parents behaving ethically, properly, with chesed to each other, with respect, those children will act likewise. If the children will see that the parents are not motivated by how much pleasure can I get out of life, But an entirely different attitude. We live for a purpose, not for the pleasure. They may pick up that idea. But you know, a lot of things have changed since I was a child. And the from world is up to its eyebrows in looking for pleasure. You know what we ate in Pesach when I was a kid? potatoes and borscht and onions and meat and eggs and that was it you know what kind of wine we had for Pesach we had the sweet wine and the wine without sugar for diabetics that was in my not ancient history that was in my childhood I saw it you know what it's like today do you know that Pesach there were 134 varieties of wine on the shelves I never had chocolate marshmallows when I was for Pesach when I was a kid. And I never had kosher pizza. And I never had non-gebrocht ice cream cones. What are we doing? We're again showing our children tivus, tivus, tivus. And then we want them to give up on pleasure seeking. No, I don't think that we have to throw out our uh, air conditioners and suffer from the heat. That's not what it's all about. We can take advantages of the convenience that modern technology has given to us. We're grateful to have these comforts. But we have to show somehow, and I'm not sure that I can even tell you how to do it, but we have to think, how am I going to show my child that the purpose of my life is not to get maximum fun and pleasure? Sure, if you get up in the morning early and go to the minion, especially on a cold day and a dafyoimi, all the kinds of things 
that are right, that's in the right direction. And even that is not enough. We still have to do more. And so the family has to take a look. What is it that we can do? And I can't give the answers. I'm the one who's asking the questions. But as least we'll ask the questions, we'll look for the answers, and we'll go to our rabbis. Right? And we'll say, hey, help us. Maybe we'll make some progress. But the family itself, as important as it is, is not the whole story. Because our children spend more time away from the family than in the family. They spend most of the waking hours in school with their teachers, with their friends. What goes on in school? I'm not here, Chassi Shalom, to criti criticize the educational system. Heaven knows they have an enormous challenge, an enormous burden. But there are things clearly that need to be addressed. My Rebbe Zechai gave me a wonderful compliment when he told me the only reason I prepared the shir was for you and for your chavrusa. For two out of the 22 children in the class. Because there were only two who thought would be able to follow his thinking. What happened to the other 20? They looked at the wall. And I am told that in many educational institutions that the Magid addresses one-third of the class. And the other two-thirds of the class have no idea what's coming off. And nobody cares. And when children find themselves frustrated and they find that they're not being Masliach in Yiddishkeit, not being Masliach in Taira, they're going to look for something else. Years ago, this wasn't such a major problem because if the kid found that he was frustrated in yeshiva, he didn't have where to go to. He was stuck, so he stayed in yeshiva. Maybe he didn't become a Gulenoyla, but he stayed in yeshiva circles and in that environment. He didn't have where else to go to. Today, there is where else to go to. There's a whole community of kids out on the street who are, with open arms, ready to welcome any newcomer. And if the kid feels he doesn't belong in the yeshiva, or the young woman feels that she doesn't belong in the seminary, or in the Beis Yaakov, right, there are places where, she find, where he or she can find a uh, welcoming committee. It's totally different. It's not the world that we lived in when I was a child, in many ways. And because of that, we have to look. We look for ways in which we're going to strengthen. We're going to strengthen our educational institutions. Many of our teachers are excellent. Many of them need additional training. We have to make that available to them. And it's maybe a question of dollars to be able to give them the time off to get the training that they need. So much we have to do within the school to be able to recognize when a problem comes up. Now what do you do when a problem comes up? You know what the standard procedure is? Take the kid out. He was caught with marijuana. Well, if you kick the kid out who is caught with marijuana, all the rest of the kids who are using marijuana are going to be twice as careful that they don't get caught. They're not going to stop. But I can understand what the administrator is saying. Well, you want me to... I have a responsibility to the institution. I have a responsibility to the other kids. I can't have a kid like this in the crowd. I understand that. But there's ways to deal with that if we make the effort. All I ask from educators 
is that they relate to every child who was given into their care as though it were their own child. And if they relate to it as as if it were their own child, then they will find ways in which to deal with it properly. There's no easy solution to this. There's no easy fix to any of this. I'm using up my time. I'm anxious to hear what my cousin has to say. And all I'm trying to do in these few minutes is to reinforce what Rabbi Talmud said. It's time that we get the blinders off of our eyes and realize that we have a problem. And I'd like to know, all of us who now have heard this, what are you going to do about it tomorrow? First thing I think you ought to do is you ought to call the FH office and get this book and read it. And then after you've read it once, we read it. There's things there that you don't like to hear. And that's why it's important to review it so many times. We're not going to achieve saving our kids by denying the problem. The street is toxic. The outside world is morally poisonous. I'm not even talking about the problem with, with, with internet addiction, with the horrors that that has brought about. But forget about the internet addiction. There's homes that, thank God, do not have internet. Some have television, some have, do not. I had a situation the other day where a young man told me that he had an altercation with his 11-year-old son because they were sitting and watching television and he says, I knew that the next thing that was going to come on was something that I didn't want him to see. So I told him to please leave the room and he said, no. So I said, yes, you have to leave the room. He said, no, I'm not going. So I got up and you know, physically pushed him out of the room. And I said, you were wrong. The kid was right. You mean it's only good for you to see, not for him? The right thing to do would have been to go over and turn off the television and say, we do not allow that kind of trash in our house. You know something? There's ways of impressing children. What would anybody, any of us do if we found a bug in our food? We found a bug in the soup. You know that most of us would pour the soup out? Disgusting. Well, who says a bug is disgusting? You know that when you were six months old, everything you saw went into your mouth. Watch your children, watch your grandchildren. Everything in the world goes into the mouth. And if they see a little bug, they're going to pick up the bug and put it in their mouth. So what happens then? The mother sees the child putting a bug in his mouth and says, And she has such a convulsion of horror and disgust that for the next 80 years the child remembers and knows that bugs are disgusting. What do you think would happen if she would say, Oh, Yankala, put that bug down. That's not nice to eat. It would make no impression at all. When we see some of the disgusting things that the world is putting on before our eyes whether it's in the supermarket checkout counter 
or whether it's in the uh, TV or whether it's in the uh, news media or on the radio, right? And if we would have that kind of revulsive action and we show how horribly disgusting this is, and actually act as just as we would when we see the kid put a bug in his mouth. I assure you that the kids will have a different idea of what is proper and what is not proper. We've got a lot of homework to do. So let me suggest, my friend, don't forget what you've heard from the rabbi tonight. Right? We have the problem, not the other person. I hope that none of us would have the problem, but we all would have to be prepared. Oh, by the way, I think that all of your mothers have taken your children to the pediatrician to get immunization against diphtheria and lockjaw and whooping cough and measles and mumps and polio. Right? That's what you do when you're a good mother. I want to tell you that the chance of our children getting into drugs is much greater than they're getting any of these diseases. And we have to try and do whatever we can to immunize them. So, what you ought to do tomorrow, whether you get this book or any other, or get into parent groups. Form parent groups and say, okay, you know, maybe we missed out on it. Maybe we didn't get parental training before we got married. But we can do some, still do something now. And form groups for parental training never too late and I think that the more you think about these things, the more you think about the questions, the more likelihood will be that you'll find answers and I hope that as you do that, that and as you pray for for help from HaKadosh Baruch that you will indeed be zayfer, that all of your children will be following the footsteps of our ancestors and that you will have a great deal of nachas. That's my fervent wish to you. But please remember, in order to get that nachas, we have to work for it. <laughs>